This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. You know, I lived my fantasy, and I did something what I wanted to do, and it was the greatest feeling to play in New York City. They're the greatest fans. Yankees won when we wanted to, and the Red Sox won when they could. And that's how I look at it. The Yankees told me that I'm going to probably draft. And they say, I'm going to draft you because you're the best player in the country, and plus you're Jewish. So I said, okay, that sounds great. I think the greatest thing in the world is I did something what I wanted to do in my life. I've always been lucky uh, throughout my life that I was a fairly decent athlete. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. We have a full house today. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. Joining me, we have both our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. Hey, guys. What's going on, Al? And our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. Hello. We have a fun episode today. Probably, possibly, I don't know. Certainly one of the funniest interviews we're ever going to have on the New York Yankees official podcast. Uh, we have Ron Bloomberg. You can uh, listen along and find out how many questions I prepared and how many I got a chance to ask. But, uh, you know, I just have fun with it because I sure did. He's the best. As we probably talked about on this podcast earlier, I had the opportunity to spend some time with him this summer as well. And he's a great friend. He's hilarious. He's one of the coolest guys you could ever be around among Yankees players, former or current. He's the best. He's the absolute best. Absolute character, Nate. Uh, I know that uh, I think Al and I know Bloomberg a little better than you do, but I think you ever, like, like all of the listeners, I think you got a pretty good sense of it in this episode. After that, why don't we kind of close the book a little bit on some of our Legends of Baseball Cruise content and then talk a little bit about pitchers and catchers because it's February. It's coming. It's coming. So with that, here is Ron Bloomberg. This episode of the New York Yankees official podcast is being brought to you by Celebrity Cruises, the sponsors of the Legends of Baseball Cruise. They'll be sailing from Fort Lauderdale on the beautiful Celebrity Apex for seven nights departing on December 7th, 2024. You can learn more at www.legendsofbaseballcruise.com. I was on the first sailing this past December. It was an absolutely amazing experience, as you've been hearing on our recent episodes. And the 2024 sailing will visit the stunning ports of Labadee, Haiti, Bimini in the Bahamas, Porta Plata, Dominican Republic, and Key West. Join your favorite players for some amazing events like private cocktail parties, autograph, photo sessions, trivia, an amazing beach day where you can play wiffle ball with some of your favorite legends. For more information, please be sure to visit the website www.legendsofbaseballcruise.com and book your cabin today. Day. 
Joining me right now on board the Celebrity Apex, I think as we keep uh, hugging the coast of Cuba, we have Ron Bloomberg. Ron, how you doing, man? Oh, it's great. It's great to be here, and I'm having a wonderful time, and to talk to you is a great privilege. You're too kind, Ron. For those who are not on board, I'm trying to set the scene here a little bit, because Ron Bloomberg, while you know a beloved former Yankee, the first designated hitter in history, has also, I'm told, just accepted a job as cruise director on the Celebrity Apex, a job you are well-suited for. And I, I just want to congratulate you on all of the fine entertainment you've provided this week on board the ship. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to talk to the people. Thank you very much. I'm probably the lowest paid celebrity uh, cruise person. <laughs> but it's nice to be here, and uh, I uh, will take the position, but I will try to negotiate a good deal with you. My man, you are 75 years old. I think every single person on this boat has a picture with you by this point and has gotten a story from you. Where do you get the energy from? I don't know. I'm known to be a big eater. Uh, <laughs> you know, everybody talks about my eating habits. But, you know, I, I think the greatest thing in the world is I did something what I wanted to do in my life. And uh, I've always been lucky uh, throughout my life that I was a fairly decent athlete. And uh, I grew up in the South, uh, signed with the Yankees in 1967, and I was lucky to be the number one draft choice in the country. I was going to say, I signed with the Yankees. I mean, you were the number one pick in the draft, but go on. Uh, I was. And down South is a lot different than the North. We did not know baseball real well down South. The big sports, of course, was football and basketball. And I was a, 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 a person that played all three sports. And I was very, very lucky in my life that I was a pretty decent athlete. And I had an opportunity. I signed a basketball scholarship to go to UCLA to play basketball with John Wooten. And uh, I signed a letter of intent when I was in the 11th grade. When you sign a letter of intent to play sports, it's not like it's sports now. When you sign a letter of intent, if you're going to play basketball, you have to play for that team. It's not like the recruits now that, you know, you get recruited and you say, I commit to this team and this team and this team. You go from place to place. And I was very, very lucky that I got recruited by Bear Bryant to play for University of Alabama and play ba football. Baseball New York was Yankees, Alabama, UCLA. I'm just, I'm just setting the scene here a little bit. Here. Well, you know, that's almost 60 years ago. You know, I mean, it's but then the greatest and, you know, being down south, the only team we ac actually saw was the New York Yankees on TV. Uh, we had a black and white TV. My parents had no money at all. And I had a, one little uh, TV that I used to watch, and I always saw the old Yankee Stadium. And the greatest person and my hero was Mickey Mantle. Why was he my hero? Because he was a big stud. Uh, he was a left-hander. Of course, he was a switch hitter, but I was a left-hander hitter. I started playing baseball when I was young. But I looked at this guy, and I said, God, this guy hits a long ways. Uh, this guy is a guy from Oklahoma. This guy is, he just looks like an athlete. And that's why I really became a Yankee fan. But we really did not see a lot of baseball. But now I had an opportunity to sign with uh, up. Uh, I'm going to my senior year. I had, a, I had an opportunity to sign football, basketball. And then it was the draft in 1967. 
And Bobby Richardson was the first guy that ever scouted me. He scouted me when I was in the ninth grade in high school. And back then, of course, you can't play uh, professional athletics in high school. So he kept on watching and watching and watching. And I became better and better and better and better and better. And the last day when I got drafted by, uh, well, the Yankees told me that I'm going to probably draft you. And they say, I'm going to draft you because you're the best player in the country. And plus you're Jewish. <laughs> so I said, okay, that sounds great. And, uh, then the Yankees. It's a very common me. story, by the way. Uh, most of us Jews, that's what we usually hear, is that the Yankees want us because we're Jewish. I mean, and, you know, the worst part about it is when the Yankees were thinking about drafting me, I got thrown out of my house because you never see any Jews to get drafted or signed professional other than uh, Hank Greenberg and uh, Sandy Koufax. Those are your two guys, right? And when you're a Jew, you know, you, you, you become a doctor or a lawyer or you go in your family business. So I'm the ugly duckling. I wanted to play professional baseball. I wanted to do something what I wanted to do, okay? When I got drafted, well, if I did not get drafted by the Yankees, there's no way in the world I would have played professional baseball. Everybody asked me what would I have done. Now, would I have gone to UCLA, played with Jabbar, uh, Henry Bibby was uh, 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 on the team, or would I uh, uh, play with uh, Bear Bryant? I really did not know because back then, I was not specialized to play just one sport. I played all sports. I had an opportunity to do something what I wanted to do. And when I got drafted by the Yankees, it was a no-brainer. I mean, we did not, even my bonus money. My bonus money was $105,000. And back then, that was a lot of money. Believe me, that was a lot of money. And my parents saw that. And I mean, uh, we didn't have agents to uh, take care of you. But I signed with the Yankees, and I had an opportunity. I uh, played minor league baseball and went up to the bigs when I was 19 years old. Who would not? And Okay, here, here's another story. I got drafted by the Yankees. Wait a second. When I got drafted by the Yankees, when I got drafted by the Yankees, now I've never been on an airplane. Okay, my mom and dad had a small old jewelry store in, uh, uh, in Georgia, in, in Atlanta, right? Okay, so when I got drafted by the Yankees, the Yankees said, we want you to come up to New York to sign a contract. Never been on an airplane. I don't know if y'all been to Atlanta before. And the, uh, the Yankees sent me uh, on my first plane trip with my mom and dad. We went on a Piedmont Airlines. I don't know if y'all back then heard of Piedmont Airlines. So I flew into LaGuardia, right? 17 years old, scared to death. Not scared of professional uh, athletics, but scared to death because I'd never been on an airplane. When I got to New York, the first thing that ever happened to me, the Yankees sent a taxi cab. I didn't have a driver to pick me up. It was a taxi cab driver. And when you were in a, taxi, a yellow cab at that particular time, they used to put someone's name on the box, you know, where you put your money in. Uh, the Yankees pay for it, of course. His name was Silverstein. And I looked at my mom and dad, and being a Jew, I said, God, this is good. This guy is a Jewish cab driver. So he takes me down to the Hilton. As soon as I get down to the Hilton, right, uh, it was a big sign at the New York Hilton. says, welcome, New York Yankees, number one draft choice, Ron Bloomberg. And I said, God, that was wonderful. So I got in my room. The Yankees picked us up. 
went to the stadium because they were playing in Yankee Stadium, and I think we got uh, it was a night game. When I got to New York, I saw all these people there. And when I got to a stadium, it's hardly anybody. It's like three, 4,000 people. It's a stadium. But I got up into the press box, and first guy I met was Bill Rizzuto, Bill White, and Frank Messer. And then somebody came along who I'd never even heard about before. It was Walter Cronkite. Okay, I had no idea. Hey, if it wasn't uh, the Temptations or the Four Tops, I had no idea who they were. I never watched any of that stuff before. And he interviewed me. He was my first guy I interviewed with, was Walter Cronkite, 17 years old. And, you know, in my parents, it was a great day. I know I'm talking a lot, but I got to tell the story. You know, but if you want to interrupt, you can interrupt me anytime you want to. And I'll just go back to it. You can put it right down. But anyway... But after the game was over with, the Yankees told me to go take batting practice. Peachy, he was in the clubhouse. I go down there, gives me my uniform, go out on the field. I'm 17 years old, a little bit scared, okay? So I'm taking BP. Now all of a sudden, there was three people walk behind the uh, 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 batting cage. Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, and Whitey Ford. So I'm taking batting practice. Now I'm popping up, hitting it up in the cage. Now all of a sudden, I started getting my eye on the ball. Now I'm starting to hit the ball. I'm 17 years old in the, uh, not the upper deck, but the second deck. And, and, and the guys came along and started looking at me. And Mickey Mantle came and said to me, I think we really got a fine draft pick. So it made me feel great. So I go down uh, uh, after the game. Uh, I went to Johnson City, Tennessee, rookie ball. Had a pretty good year down there. And uh, played in the minor leagues for maybe a little bit over another year, year and a half, and made it to the big. And uh, it was the greatest. Let me tell you something. I lived my dream. You know, I lived my fantasy. And I did something what I wanted to do. And it was the greatest feeling to play in New York City. They're the greatest fans to me. They took great care of me. And, you know, I, I came be blessed and people always ask me why I'm on this cruise because of people like yourself and I did something what I wanted to do I lived my dream and y'all lived your fantasy and it's great to be part of something like this so I'm pretty sure the question was where do you get the energy from <laughs> um, that, that, that was 12 minutes ago <laughs> Um, but the good thing is a lot of what I prepared you have handled. You you wrote a book about your relationship with Thurman Munson. And, you know, we've been seeing aboard this ship some, uh, plenty of people wearing number 15 shirts, things like that. There's obviously a, a big campaign among Yankee fans who believe that Thurman should be in the Hall of Fame. What is Thurman Munson to you? Because a brother. Yeah. A, a, a and, brother and, and a, a captain, a person that I would go to fight with in war. He was a George Patton. Uh, he, he was a guy that when I met him, I signed in 67, he signed in 68. He went up to the bigs, I think, a year early, uh, uh, earlier than I did because he was a little bit older. And uh, we just became good friends. Uh, me, you know, I, I wrote a book about him. Uh, the captain and me did extremely well. And uh, I told the story that uh, how we met, and we just loved uh, uh, doing things together. Uh, we loved to fish. We loved to play golf. Uh, we used to call him Fat Boy. and uh, uh, But I wasn't the Fat Boy. I was a pretty big stocky guy, you know. But now I'm a shriveled up old man now. But uh, uh, 
But he was such a person to me as, just not as a brother, he was a leader. If you have to pick somebody that did something for a team, and to make a team so great was Thurman Munson. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, uh, what happened to him, he had almost 10 years up in the big league, and uh, he deserves to be up there, and he was just a great leader. Yeah, He made that team go, like I tell Mickey Rivers all the time, and Mickey and I are so close, and you know that. He, we're married to the hip, you know, I mean, he goes one way, I go the other way, and we try to find out where we're going. But Thurman was just so, uh, just a leader. And when he was out on that baseball field, I don't care if you're his best friend. This guy will come in right into your face. This guy, half the time, never shaved. This guy, you know, his uniform was dirty. He'll go out sometimes after he eats a hamburger and hot dog with mustard and ketchup on his uh, uh, uniform. But uh, let me tell you something. If you did something wrong, he'll go right in your face and he'll tell you exactly what you did wrong. And uh, everybody respected him. He's, he ran the pitching staff. And you could tell how great a catcher is by how many shakeoffs. But the pitchers knew exactly uh, whenever Thurman put a finger down, 98% of the time, the pitcher was throwing. And that's, he was just unbelievable. He was a great teammate, the greatest leader in the world. So... When you play baseball, when you, when you have a major league career like you did, you have tunnel vision, right? I mean, you're just focusing on that game and maybe the that season even. But when you look at your life since then and the stories that you share with your friends, and, and I guess every single person who is on this cruise ship has heard by now, you know, you and Mickey laughing together, talking together. I'm sure telling stories to each other that you've told each other 35 times. But they're not times. the truth. <laughs> Doesn't have to be. Who cares? <laughs> You're the when you get, know when you get older, your uh, home runs from 450 feet goes to 500 feet, and then when you get becomes older, it's like 550 feet. And nobody knows the difference. My question is though, how much is this the reward in a sense? Those relationships that you have, those weeks, those days that you get to spend with even guys who you didn't play with, but who just share that legacy of being Yankees. Well, you, you, you meet guys like Michael Kay. When Michael Kay, I never met him when he was a, a, a reporter. I think he wrote for the Daily, Daily News. And we became very, very close friends when he uh, uh, started working with the Yankees. And you meet Nellie. I never knew Nellie before uh, Old Timers Day. We became such good friends. And like he was talking about, and it's true, the Yankees are, it's a different breed. You know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, I tell the other teams, I tell when I see a Red Sox, I said the Yankees won when we wanted to and the Red Sox won when they could. And that's how I look at it. And when I signed with the Yankees, CBS on that team at that particular time, and then when George Steinbrenner came in, he was like a second father to me. And people would say, you know, he, he was such a tough guy. But you look at him as, as a guy that really told the truth. And he was a leader. He was, he was a guy that if you get, did not give him 120%, this guy would kick you off the team. And that's what makes the Yankees. The Yankees are so strong in leadership. But the problem is, and this real, real quick, I know I've been real quick. It's not like when we played, when uh, if they want to get rid of us, you know, my first year I made $7,500. And I remember in 73, I, when I hit 329, they gave me a $500 raise. And then next year I hit 311, they took my $500 back. 
And, uh, yeah, it, hey, what am I going to do? Play me or trade me? You know what I mean? I, I don't have a team. You know what I mean? I had, you know, I mean, hey, they had us. But uh, the Yankees are the Yankees. They will come out of it. They are the greatest organizations, and they are going to come back. Believe me. When you see, I've asked everyone this question, so I apologize for people who are listening here. When you see Oswaldo Cabrera on this ship and the reverence in his eyes, what I'm seeing personally, and I want to know your opinion, what I'm seeing is a guy who understands what the next 30 years of his life could look like. Absolutely. You know, I became, I never met him before. Oh, I did meet him before. When I threw out the first pitch uh, uh, in the second game of uh, uh, the season, when uh, they put me out on the mound and uh, I threw the ball and went like 40 feet and it rolled another 40 feet. But it, went, <laughs> it, but it was a strike and he was a catcher. It was a strike. He was a catcher. It was a strike. It rolled all the way through. It rolled all the way through. But, hey, I can't lift up my arm past this anymore. But uh, uh, you look at a guy like this. This guy is, even though he's, he's a kid, he has, he has the it. This guy, number one, is a great athlete. This guy, if he does not get injured, he has 15 good years of his life playing professional baseball. And I hope it's with the Yankees. Because the Yan- people in New York, they love him. Because he's a true baseball. He shows so much. This is what the Yankees do. He shows so much respect for his older guys. And he's such a nice kid. And he sat down with me. He talked to me. And, and you get these guys on these other teams. Like, you know, when I go to a stadium, I talk to Aaron a lot, Judge. And his mom and dad are wonderful people. You know, and that's why the fans love him. Not just because he hits home runs. Because he's a true person. He's a person that y'all could talk to. He's a person that will sit here and sign autographs for you. Rather than saying, you know, talk to my agent. Uh, I got to go someplace. I got to go. Cabrera, I mean, he's the same way. He's going to do extremely well. He's going to be very successful. And I just hope, I hope uh, he stays in New York because you're going to see a great player out of this kid. You're here. So the people in this room, you know, who are here for the Legends of Baseball Cruise, they know this. But when we were in Cozumel, there was uh, we were at, we're at a beach club. Uh, everyone who's part of this tour was there, and suddenly I don't know who started it. I was kind of off to the side at some point. Suddenly there's a wiffle ball game going on. David Demaya, okay, and then Rob told me not to have the people bring their baseball gloves. I said these people would love to bring their baseball gloves because they want to play with the legends and they want to play catch with us. Now you can imagine, okay. A lot of people paid a lot of money to be on this cruise, right? Obviously, I think that everyone would agree that it was money well spent. Now, you know, so you get up to the plate against El Duque, and, you know, you you swing and miss, and you swing and miss. But you're pretty sure in that situation, right, I'm going to keep swinging until I get a hit. (laughs) Not so, says Ron Bloomberg, (laughs) was insisting that after three strikes, you were out. I I just want to know, do you take everything quite this seriously? Well, really not, but I wanted everybody to get up like three, four, five times. When we started, we started with about five, six people, and then we ended up with like 80 people. Everybody, even the women. I mean, the women, I don't know if you saw it. They were running down to first place, and they fall flat on their face, and, you know, they got sand all over their face. They said, I want to get back up. I want to get up and there and hit again. Like, no, you're out. That was wonderful. That was great. And the greatest part about that is I think I beat Mickey's team. 
<laughs> and, and, and honestly, just to set the scene here, I mean, you can't you can't imagine a more picturesque environment. We we have literal coconuts for bases. Um, it's this it's the the rare moment on this cruise, unfortunately, where the sun was beaming down from the sky. It was it was a pretty perfect game. But I have to say, Ron, you know, again, two two nice Jewish boys up here on the stage. You for many years worked. Uh, you you ran a clinic at my kids' uh, summer camp. I, I just want to make sure were you were you as strict with uh, these you know ten eleven twelve year old kids as you are? Uh... No, because they they don't want to get hot, they don't want to sweat, you know. <laughs> if they got sand on their bodies, they want to get up and they want to call up their mom and dad. But your son did not. I'm just telling you, I kicked his butt, you know. And then uh, uh, so it's so nice to know this is my last podcast before I get fired. <laughs> but thank you. Very much. No, but I, 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 we told uh, we told our son Ron Bloomberg's here. She had two questions. You know, first off, you know, is he making everyone laugh? And secondly, is he wearing what he called his half hat from the University of Miami? I think the proper term for that is a visor. But uh, I think that well, the Yankees your... never given me a, a Yankee visor hat. <laughs> we can arrange that, you know, if you want one. Ron, when you, you you know, we're joking about it a little bit, but you know, the the, the you've mentioned a bunch of times, you know, your Jewish roots and everything like that in the background. Growing up in Georgia. We, we had a story about you in Yankees Magazine this year where you really very vividly told the story. I mean, it was, it was not an easy environment at that time for a young Jewish kid. You know, you, you were playing with people who were openly members of the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, yeah, I how did. do you think that you were able to persevere in the way you did? Well, number one, I grew up in the era. I don't know if y'all saw in the movie uh, Mississippi Burning. Uh, down south back then, uh, when I grew up, half my teammates in high school were in the KKK or the John Birch Society. Uh, that was a known fact. The Jewish uh, uh, people in the south, we did not have a lot of Jewish uh, people down south, okay? Uh, I did not have a high school. I think I had three, four people in my high school that was in my high school that was Jewish also. Uh, but the people where I grew up with in the with the KKKs, their parents did not, uh, uh, they looked at me because being a pretty decent athlete, I had all the scouts, uh, had all the recruiters, uh, they come to look at me. They knew that if they're good, they're going to come to look at their sons too. That year when I got drafted in 1967, we had five number one draft choice in Atlanta. We had probably on my basketball team, we had four guys get Division One basketball scholarships, and we probably got six or seven uh, Division One to play uh, uh, college football. But most of the time, they came to see me. And when they came to see me, they came to see them. They became prospects, and then they signed nice scholarships. So I never had any problems. My parents never had any problems. We never had, you know, I, growing up down south, I, we never had problems. Everybody was close friends with people. You know, did I see some when I played uh, in the minor leagues when I was up in North Carolina and South Carolina? People don't realize that George Wallace was the uh, governor down in Alabama. We had Lester Maddox, who was the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the governor in uh, Atlanta. And then you go to South Carolina, it says, welcome to the Klan country in South Carolina. But, you know, I look away from all that stuff and you know and and my parents always told me just be nice to people and that's always instilled in my head if i'm nice to people people will be nice to me and thank you for being nice to me i think that that is uh the understatement of uh the century certainly ron blueberg being nice to people so 
I want to open this up to questions. I do have to say, though, and I apologize for pointing this out, that I think we're docking in something like 25 hours. So just, you know, just if you want to just be <laughs> You're careful. You're not bored yet. Are you bored? Yeah, but, uh, just keep on staying here. Hey, instead of listening to Mickey Rivers, just come and listen to me. Come on. Yeah. We'll just talk. So, so no, knowing that uh, it could keep us here past dinner, does anyone have any questions uh, for Ron? There got to be some questions. Yeah, come I, on, I want man. a lot of questions here. Come on. Ed Bloom, thanks, Ron, for coming aboard. You've done a great job. I want to ask you about if you were a ball player today, not at your current age, but back in the day. I wouldn't be making a lot of money. <laughs> not only would you be making a lot of money and a big contract, but it's a two-part question. One, would you change your uh, hitting style to adapt to the long ball first approach? And secondly, as far as if you were uh, a free agent, would you look to sign with a team that you really want to, or would you look for the biggest paycheck? Uh, first thing that, uh, uh, what was the first question again? <laughs> would you change your hitting approach? Because no, today absolutely not. Because when I grew up, uh, this, you know, I mean, y'all could fight me on this. Analytics to me is not my game. Uh, my computer is my head. Okay, I was taught. Uh, I remember Brian Cashman about ten years ago. I was sitting in uh, upstairs, uh, up in the stadium, and we we're just sitting down, just talking. And and Cash asked me, "Bloomy," he said, uh, uh, "I didn't know there was a position open as for a hitting coach." Okay, I had no idea. And uh, Cash asked me, uh, "Did I, you know, if I was a coach, how would I teach these guys? I see the ball, I swing, and I hit it. I run the first base." <laughs> I run to second base, and that's what I teach him. He said, you don't have the job. I said, was I a prospect for the job? He said, we're just talking to you. But no, I would never change. No, because the name of the game of baseball is to hit the ball. Hey, I could have been like Aaron Judge if I wanted to. Unfortunately, my career ended in a lot of injuries. But I gave 120%. I don't have anything to feel bad about it. I wish I would have fulfilled my potential, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. But I did the best I could, and I had a fairly decent year when I played, okay? But, no, absolutely not. I would have hit a lot of home runs, mm -hmm. a lot more home runs, but the name of the game is to get on base, somebody drop me in, and to score runs. And the second part of that is if you were offered a contract with, say, Chicago White Sox I did. as a free agent, and the Yankees offered you a little bit less, would that have come into play? They offered me the same amount. I became a free agent in 1978. And when I became a, a free agent in 1978, I had uh, George Steinbrenner got, got very mad when I left uh, New York to go and sign with Chicago White Sox. The only reason why I signed with Chicago White Sox for two reasons. Bill Veck was a wonderful guy. He was my owner of the team, Bill Veck was. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, uh, I needed to get, because I had so many injuries. And I just wanted to make a fresh start. I did make a mistake leaving New York because... I made a lot of great fans in Chicago, but nothing like the people in New York. What I liked about New York was all the delicatessen. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. But, but, all, but playing in New York, there's no other place in the world is better than New York City and the fans in New York City. They are the best of the best. What, what else we got for Ron Bloomberg here? Michelle Homoki, Celebrity Cruises. Um, so happy to have you both aboard. What I wanted to say is I think Ron was the first person I know that Rob and I met um, to put this cruise together. Rob and, Steinfeld from Expedia Cruises. Yes, and he truly is, to me, the heart and soul 
Um, he's such an ambassador. He is truly a role model, and I'm so proud to know him Thank and you, that he's here. Michelle. I am not, you know, hey, y'all are my people, and, you know, and I appreciate down deep in my heart for y'all to have me and my teammates aboard this because everybody, I mean everybody, they love it. I mean, they really love it. And you know what? And when I called, who did I call uh, in this room? Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> and how many people thought I was selling life insurance and, uh, uh, and home warranties and car warranties? Because you never called me back. And Rob said, they didn't call you back. I said, no, they didn't think of who I was. You know what I mean? But uh, uh, I just want to let you know that the people that are out there that I appreciate y'all coming here, and I hope you had a great time like the players did. And I, I want to, you know, because it's a small little group, but to really give Rob and Michelle and, and all these people from celebrities what they have done. And this is not going to be the only one. We're going to make this bigger and bigger and bigger, and we're going to make this like old Thomas Day. And we're going to find a place, even in the street, even stickball next time, and we're going to play. Cruise director Tim, unfortunately, is going to need to find a new line of work because uh, Ron Bloomberg is here. <laughs> Thank you. Ron, uh, you just did it a little bit. I'm going to give one last thing here. You know, For everyone who is listening to this, for everyone who's thinking about 2024, what's your, uh, what's your pitch for the Legends of Baseball Cruise 2024? Oh, I have to pitch anything. I just hope you all had a great time. And, you know, that's, that's all I want. And, you know, I want you to just enjoy being with people that you saw out there. You booed and you cheered. And, you know, because we don't care. You know, I mean, we just want to y'all to have a good time. Our era, our era is a lot different than the era now. But that's not the big thing. Y'all, like I said before a thousand times, y'all are the people that made us go. Y'all are the people made us go. And when you're out on that baseball field in Fantasy Island or wherever we are, Paradise Island or whatever. Who cares? To watch y'all play was a fantasy. They told me, David, okay, we're through. <laughs> I think that everybody on the Celebrity Apex and throughout the Western Caribbean joins me in saying, Ron, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. And don't forget, this is your last night down at the buffet. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hi, this is Anthony Volpe. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. This episode of the New York Yankees official podcast is being brought to you by Celebrity Cruises, the sponsors of the Legends of Baseball Cruise. They'll be sailing from Fort Lauderdale on the beautiful Celebrity Apex for seven nights departing on December 7th, 2024. You can learn more at www.legendsofbaseballcruise.com. I was on the first sailing this past December. It was an absolutely amazing experience, as you've been hearing on our recent episodes. And the 2024 sailing will visit the stunning ports of Labadee, Haiti, Bimini in the Bahamas, Porta Plata, Dominican Republic, and Key West. Join your favorite players for some amazing events like private cocktail parties, autograph, photo sessions, trivia, an amazing beach day where you can play wiffle ball with some of your favorite legends. For more information, please be sure to visit the website www.legendsofbaseballcruise.com and book your cabin today.
Hi, this is Clark Schmidt. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Welcome back to the New York Yankees official podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Bloomberg. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. He's such a character, but such a great guy and, and just such a genuinely caring person about anything or everything that he's involved with and and what a great career he had here with the Yankees obviously you know the groundbreaking accomplishment of being the first DH always stands out but he's he's a lot more than that and and you can see that and and hear that in the interview that you did with him John you know the thing about Ron Bloomberg is he played a little bit before my time so I never got to see him play but you know growing up a baseball fan a Yankees fan you you know the name because of that that fact that he was the first designated hitter in baseball history. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't really know much more about him than that. But um, getting to work here and read the stories and hear the interviews that you guys have done with Ron and learn a little bit more about his career, you realize, like, what an incredible athlete this guy was. I mean, to have those kind of opportunities to be drafted first overall in the Major League Draft by the New York Yankees, to have uh, opportunities to go play basketball at UCLA for John Wooden or football at Alabama for Bear Bryant. I mean, that's like rare air right there. You really do wonder what would have been if injuries hadn't uh, beat him up a little bit. By the way, there is a here in this office that is working so hard right now <laughs> for anyone uh, who's wondering if we are still on the Legends of Baseball cruise. Let me assure you, <laughs> we are not because the heater is really contending with this winter weather and that is probably what you're hearing in the background. It's a big stadium to heat. It needs a lot of uh, man, a lot of power. <laughs> it's a stadium built for summer, perhaps. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I, I think that over the last couple of weeks as we've been doing these episodes from the Legends of Baseball cruise, I think, I hope people have been getting a sense of the fun, the excitement, just the really casual nature of it in a sense and how easygoing all these guys were. And I'm really glad to finish with Ron Bloomberg because that just shows all of it. I mean, he was like the number one ambassador for this cruise, both for the people on board who were part of the group, but also, I mean, just going up to everyone random on the ship and like basically getting them to try to sign up for next year. <laughs> um, he alluded to this. He was cold calling people to try to get them to book uh if people had like been to the website and put in some information the callback they would get off and wouldn't be from you know someone from celebrity cruises or expedia cruises carol it was ron bloomberg calling them um he, he really uh he, he put in his time he put in his effort and every single person there came back like you nate maybe they didn't know that much about ron bloomberg but what they definitely knew after that was this guy is the best he really is and even when i was with him in atlanta this summer he talked about it a lot he shared how excited he was to be around the other players, former players, getting to meet Yankees fans. He really embraces his role as an ambassador for being a, a, a Yankee, and I think that's really special. And, you know, the, the thing about somebody like that, I always say that, you know, the two favorite players that I've ever worked with were Ron Bloomberg and Jason Giambi, having nothing to do with, with what they did on the field, but just their genuineness and how kind they are and he's real and that's what you see is what you get that that's who he is and it's and it's pretty special yeah not not everyone is is wired like that you know <laughs> uh, i'm sure there are plenty of former athletes out there who would you know be happy to take the paycheck and and you know make a few appearances and then you know spend a lot of time with their family or in their cabin or whatever but i mean complete opposite with ron bloomberg you could tell and uh you could it was also evident just how appreciative the the people who ran the cruise were of him and all his efforts. So really cool. 
it's it's you know one of those things where look the reality of this is it's now february but Every one of my friends, everyone in my family was laughing at me leading up to and then right after this cruise. As I was explaining, no, I'm going on a cruise, but I promise you it's for work. Like, I'm actually working on here. And I am not going to pretend for a second that I did not have a great time on this and that I did not enjoy it. But it was work. I had a lot of work that I had to do on it. I had to do all of this stuff. I was reporting other stories. I was doing regular work using the ship's Wi-Fi. Ron Bloomberg was working on, on this yeah. ship. But the difference is that Ron Bloomberg works with the world's biggest smile on his face. You know, he, he put in his time, he put in his effort, and he was there, sure, to have a great time. But he was there to make sure every single person had the best time of their lives. And I don't know how many people are able to do that in the way he did, because I kind of think Ron's a, like one of one in that yeah, regard. Totally selfless. And everything is about is that. And this is just another another great example of it. It's really funny, too, though, because a, a little bit of how the sausage is made here. A lot of times when I'm doing these long-form podcast interviews, you know, in the back of my head, or not even in the back, sometimes in the front, I'm trying to use this stuff for a story later. And certainly I'm writing stuff that uses a lot of these quotes. When you're doing a live interview, one of the harder things is staying in control of the interview. You know, you have a lot of questions you want to ask, but you don't want to step on the guy. You don't want to stop him from talking. Usually, I've been doing this long enough, I can give a look, give a nod or something like that and kind of reel someone back in if they're going in a place that I have a lot of questions I need to ask here, I have a lot of time, or I don't have a lot of time, we need to finish this. Fortunately, I had no such concerns with Ron Bloomberg because I think I prepared like 20 questions. I think I asked him about four. (laughs) There was definitely one question for which he gave a 12-minute answer. You heard him say, (laughs) just put that down because literally I put the microphone down because I was just like, I don't need to hold this anymore. I'm just going to listen to you go. His answer had literally nothing to do with the question i asked <laughs> and it was great and it i was i have no concerns whatsoever yeah, that's it the was. thing it's like uh guys who are that uh you know loquacious can be a reporter's best friend or it can be a nightmare and you know ron fortunately tells a lot of, a lot of great stories i love you know anytime any of thurman munson's former teammates want to share stories about him i'm all ears so. it always does like kind of verge into is this appropriate is this nice is this a nice way to talk about something but then you realize they say it with such love and they have such yeah. affection for him and it just it, it, i i felt the same way about you and that's why i wanted to talk to him a lot about thurman a lot of this is it's a real flashback to july when i was with him in atlanta where i, I think about the same thing we were supposed to do the whole interview at his house and like you said, I had about 20 questions written down and we got through like two and then it was lunchtime and we had to go out and it's like, okay, well, we didn't get very far. <laughs> and the other thing too, you know, the, the other thing that we laughed about so much when we were down there was, you know, he has a nickname for everybody and he's so friendly with people from every generation, every, every generation of Yankees players. So a lot of what he was doing with me, with Jim Petrozello, our photographer who was with me down there was he would just assume that we knew certain players and they were players from the seventies, the eighties, the (laughs) nineties. And he had a nickname for every one of them. And, you know, Jim and I were laughing when we got in the cars, like, I wonder what, what these nicknames really mean. Probably not something we would go up and call the player because we, you know, it, it may not have, uh, (laughs) who knows what, whether it was good, bad or, or whatever, but, but just really funny. Obviously we did four episodes, um, from the ship. There were more guys there, certainly, you know, everybody heard Mickey, the, Mickey Rivers the whole time, but it, it was just a wonderful experience that I think I really worked hard over the last two months, in a sense, to try to convey that and really show what was happening. And uh, the story that I'm writing, which will be out in a little while, is about the way the Yankees family works and what it means to be part of the Yankees family. And 
whether it was through listening to these episodes or through reading the story or your own knowledge, I hope that we have done, I hope that I have done a good job of showing that because that to me was the thing that I came back the most with. It was wonderful to be, you know, in the Western Caribbean. We ate well, we had fun, all, all that stuff. But I think that every single person who bought their ticket onto the Legends of Baseball Cruise, everybody who's already booked for next year, uh, which will again be on the Celebrity Apex, I think that what you see is how expansive and how meaningful the Yankees family is and what membership in that family means, whether you're a player, whether you're a fan, whether you're an alum, it, it just kind of wraps its arms around you. And, and that's how I felt when I was there. I think all the guests felt that way when they were there. And I think a big part of that is certainly these traditions that kind of were created and started by the Steinbrenner family and all that stuff, but also people like Ron Bloomberg and, and the work that they put in all, not just at sea, but, uh, you know, Ron Bloomberg, who is always around, who always, you know, wants to spread good cheer and everything like that. And it's a, it's a huge part of what this franchise is about. Well, John, I, I would just say, I think you've done a great job of, of conveying how unique and, and fun the cruise was, but also, you know, larger view about, like you said, you know, the Yankees being a family. And um, it's really cool to be able to see it firsthand and, uh, you know, kind of share that with our readers. I agree. I think the appreciation that players from this generation have for players in the 90s. I know Orlando Hernandez was on the cruise and um, Jeff Nelson and guys who won all those championships in the 90s. And then the appreciation that those players have for players from the 70s, Chris Chambliss, um, Mickey Rivers, Ron Bloomberg, uh, whoever I'm forgetting. I think that just that entire lineage of great players yeah, some of them were good players, not even great players, but productive players for a long time, guys who contributed to championships with the with the Yankees or did great things for this team. All of that is, like you said, encompassed by this mindset that George Steinbrenner brought in in 1973. I wrote about this last year when even at that time he was making sure that the players of the past, at that point it was Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, were involved in what was happening because it was important for the, the current players to see that this is what our history is and this is what it's all about. And those players embraced it and it's gone on for more than 50 years with Hal um, and, and you know the, all the members of the Steinbrenner family who are so intimately involved in that now. I think it's really special. And Nathan's right. I mean, you really brought that point to life and, and that's important. It's great. And, and it's interesting to me, because, and this is a point that I made in the story that I've written. Look, the guys who were on this cruise, they are not in Monument Park. They are not Hall of Famers. And that's a huge part of the story, too, because the Yankees' history is bigger than Monument Park. And I think sometimes because of the boldface names that we have and the way that the Yankees honor their history... You think that it's all about Babe Ruth, that it's all about Lou Gehrig, that it's all about Mickey Mantle, and it's not. And Debbie Timon, our senior vice president of marketing, who puts together Old Timers Day, she was talking to me. It's so important that it not just be those names, that all the alumni, the living alumni of the Yankees feel a connection, and that all the players feel a connection to them, because the stories that are passed down aren't just about Mickey Mantle. They're also about, you know, guys' favorite players and those yeah. people who love Joe Pepitone more than anything else. And those people who loved, you know, Horace Clark and everything like that. That, that That's a huge aspect of it. And one thing that I found interesting because, you know, I, I mentioned and you mentioned George Steinbrenner. I spoke to 
Marty Appel on the ship. You get Marty Appel, former PR director for the Yankees, team historian, essentially, all, all this stuff. And I kind of asked him that question, like, where did this come from? Where did this idea of the Yankees being special in that regard originate in your mind? And he gave an example, which on the one hand sounds hilarious, but maybe, maybe it's real. Because what he said is Jacob Rupert insisted when he was, an, when he was the team's owner that the Yankees have two uniforms for doubleheaders, that they wouldn't go out for the second game of a doubleheader in dirty uniforms. And that sounds absurd, but his, his, Marty's point to me was, there was just this sense that we present ourselves like we're better than that, in a sense, that, that our players deserve yeah, clean uniforms. Mm-hmm. And you, you take the flip side of that, and I mean, you go to the 1919 Black Sox, and I think that you know historically people think that the term Black Sox is because... Uh, they, uh, the black mark they put on the game and everything like that, when you actually read the history of the sport, they were called the Black Sox because part of their gripe against Charlie Comiskey was that he was so cheap he wouldn't pay for laundry. And so they were playing in dirty clothes. And, and, and so you look at those, yeah. that juxtaposition there, and you see, like, I mean, we, again, we, we talk about Yankees history, and we talk about the guys on the ship from the 60s, the 70s, the 90, 80s, and 90s, and we talk about George Steinbrenner. But this is something that has been a part of the Yankees franchise basically since, you know, the stadium has stood. Yeah, I'm reading right now a, uh, I guess it's considered an autobiography, which sounds strange because it's written about it uh, from the perspective of uh, a former pitcher here, Wait Hoyt, who passed away many years ago. But um, in any event, he, you know, in it, he talks about leaving the Yankees and going to a different team. And this is in the late 1920s, early 1930s. And even then, it was just so evident how differently other teams ran their organizations and it was a step down. I mean, we're talking close to a century ago, and that was the way things were. The Yankees carried themselves in a different manner, and uh, that certainly uh, pervades till today. And I think that for all the talk of history, for all the talk of these things that we look back on and the way that the past kind of crafts the future, I think that's a great segue here because, look, it's February now. In two weeks from today, this comes out on Thursday, two weeks from today, Yankees pitchers and catchers are reporting to spring training. It, it, it's, it's upon us. and. I am always struck by this. And maybe this is how I'll wrap up my portion of this. I don't know. On this cruise, you recognize that every single person who comes into contact with the pinstripes, they are creating history. That it's not always the 60-second home run or the 3,000th hit or Derek Jeter having that walk-off hit in his last at bat. You step onto this field. You're part of the Yankees family. You're part of history. In 2024, Certainly, Alex Verdugo and Juan Soto and Marcus Stroman are going to do this for the first time. But think about all these players who we're going to see at spring training over the next few weeks who are going to have their moment, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be something that you know you tell your grandkids about, but they'll tell their grandkids about it. And somebody's going to tell a grandkid about it. And that's how this whole thing perpetuates. That's how the cycle continues. It's funny you say that. I, you know, I just wrote my last batch of yearbook bios, as you guys know. And one of the ones that I did was Marcus Stroman. And one of the things that I felt, you know, we're always in those bios, as Nathan reminds us, uh, you know, 365 times a year, we're always trying to put things in there that are not in the state in the stats bar below it. And one of the things with Marcus Stroman is he grew up as a Yankees fan. He came to Yankee Stadium. Now he has an opportunity to become become part of Yankees lore. What does that mean? Does that mean he's going to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, be inducted into the Hall of Fame? Probably not as a Yankee or as anything. No, probably not. But he has an opportunity to do something special in his life, which is affect the outcome of Yankees history, whether it's a little bit, a lot, who knows, but it could be really special. El Duque, 
again, not someone who's on the cusp of going to the Hall of Fame, but boy, did he do incredible things and things that without him, their history would be markably different. If he hadn't won that game in the 1998 ALCS when the Yankees were down two to one, if he hadn't gone, I think it was nine and one overall in postseason, would they have had as many championships? I, I, I don't know. And I, and I, I say I don't know, but if you really forced me to give you an answer, I'd probably say no, they wouldn't. So, you know, all of those pieces are part of a puzzle. And if you've ever seen a puzzle that has a missing piece, it doesn't really look the same and it's not valued the same way. When it's complete, it's special. And these are all pieces that made it a very, very complete puzzle. Yeah. And, you know, to your point earlier, John, about it not always just being about the Mickey Mantles and the Babe Ruths. I mean, I was at the baseball writers dinner last Saturday when Garrett Cole received his AL Cy Young Award and, you know, heard all kinds of speeches and, you know, every award winner not only gave a speech, but was introduced. And I'm sitting at the Yankees table when uh, our manager, Aaron Boone, is seated there, too. And like they referenced Aaron Boone's home run throughout the night, probably like three or four times just in, in passing, like it's one of those moments and you know Aaron Boone was a guy who's played half a season here he's not in Monument Park yet but um you know it can come from all different sources it can come at almost any time and so uh you know those things become part of history and here we are 20 plus years later and it's still very much fresh in everybody's mind 20 plus years later and also 6 weeks away from those next memories mm-hmm. starting yeah. right. those next things starting and and you know, maybe it's because they added the extra week to the football season, so now there's even less of a gap between the Super Bowl and the report date. But Super Bowl is the 11th, Yankees report on the 14th. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I, I for one, can't can't believe it, but also can't wait. And Same. as we as we hit two weeks from now, we will start the process of you know these episodes moving more back onto the field and everything like that. And then we'll be reporting from Tampa, and soon enough, opening day at Yankee Stadium. Sounds fantastic. Absolutely. After a nice uh, seven-game road trip to start the year in Houston and Arizona. Hey, it just gives us extra time to work on the year. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I wish it was that way every year. Yeah. For sure. Well, with that, Al, Nate, great to, great to get to do this. Three, we haven't done one of the I three know. of us in a while. It's fun to, fun to talk to you guys. Same. Thank you for indulging me uh, these last few weeks as I uh, recounted uh, my experience on the Legends of Baseball cruise and look forward to uh, staying on dry land for the the rest of this uh season of the new york yankees official podcast but uh we have a lot of fun stuff coming and can't wait to talk about it with you it's been fun hearing about it and uh also happy to be back here with both of you guys as well thank you sounds great guys we'll see we'll do it again soon hi this is garrett cole thank you for listening to the new york yankees official podcast if you like what you've heard be sure to subscribe at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Brian Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, you can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, yearbook, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800-GO-YANKS. Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks.